This podcast is the ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in Rosemont, Georgia. For more information, visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Just a quick reminder before I begin, Guatemala people, if you're going in February, you need to be here tonight at 6. If you're interested in going in April, you need to be in the fellowship hall as soon as the service is over. We're going to do an informational meeting about April as soon as the service is over. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. So I pray, Lord, for the next little while you would focus our attention on your truth. You would help me, Lord, to rightly divide your word. You would help me to teach it properly. And, Lord, I pray that we would take your word and apply it to our lives, Lord, in such a way that we'd be transformed, changed, Lord. Let us leave here different than when we came. For your honor and for your glory. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. Now, if I talked about a mosaic, most people understand what a mosaic is. A mosaic is a picture or a pattern that you make by arranging a lot of small pieces of glass or marble or some sort of a shiny material, and you put them in such an order that they make a big picture. Now, a photo mosaic is very similar. A photo mosaic is when you take a lot of pictures and you arrange all these pictures in such a way that it makes a bigger picture. But the interesting thing about a photo mosaic is that you can't really understand the big picture until you back up. (laughs) When you stand real close, you see the individual pictures. But as you back up from those individual pictures, you begin to see that there's a bigger picture. You see, the Bible is a lot like a photo mosaic. There are a lot of individual pictures and a lot of individual stories. And we can learn great amounts of things from those individual stories and from those individual pictures. But I'll argue that as we back up from the pages of Scripture, if we understand exactly what's going on in the Bible, then all those little pictures become a bigger picture. In fact, I'll argue that all those little pictures form a great story written upon the pages of Scripture. Now, we're all familiar with the individual stories of the Bible. We're familiar with the great stories of Noah. We're familiar with the story of Moses, and then the story of Jonah, and the story of Abraham, and the story of David and Goliath. We we know the great Bible stories, but here's the question we need to ask ourselves. Do we know the great story of the Bible? Have we ever taken a step back from those individual pictures to see the bigger picture? Because I'm going to argue today and for the next many weeks that there's a bigger picture of Scripture. There's, in fact, a a great story. And there's a thread that runs through the entire Bible. It begins at the beginning of the Old Testament, and it moves all the way through the end of the New Testament. And this thread is interwoven between triumph and tragedy, between love and hate, between war and peace. It's the story of God's plan of redemption. It's the story of God's plan to right the wrong. It's the story of God to buy back those that have been lost. But ultimately, the thread that runs throughout the Bible, the great story is the story of God saving His people through Jesus Christ. And so I've called this sermon series, The Great Story. And over the next many weeks, I want you to understand how those little pieces form, in the language we would use today, a photo mosaic. 
And as we begin to understand the individual stories of the Old Testament, if we'll take a step back, we'll begin to see a different picture. Now, some of you are, are, are probably asking, how do you know? <laughs> I mean, how can you be certain that the Old Testament paints this picture? In fact, I'm going to make the argument as we go through this series that, in fact, Christ himself can be found all through the Old Testament. I mean, if the Bible is ultimately the story of God's redemption plan through Jesus Christ, then we would expect to find him all through the Scripture. But here's what a lot of people think. They would say something like this, Adam, I thought Jesus wasn't born until the New Testament. And that's true. If you go read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus is born. He comes to earth in human flesh in the Gospels in the New Testament. But here's what we have to understand about Scripture. If we take a step back and begin to study the Old Testament, we're going to begin to see pictures of Christ all throughout. You say, well, how do you know that, Adam? Well, there's a very interesting story in Luke chapter 24. Now, this is not my focal passage this one. I'm going to focus on Genesis 1. If you want to flip back with me to Luke 24, you can. You don't have to. I'm going to tell you the story. Luke chapter 24 is a very interesting portion of Scripture. Jesus has already been crucified. He's lived his life. He's willingly walked to Calvary. He's died on the cross. He's been buried, and he's raised from the dead. But here's the interesting point of the story. Nobody's seen him yet. Now, the women have gone to the tomb. They've noticed that his body isn't present. They've gone and told the other disciples, and they're kind of freaking out a little bit, right? They don't know exactly what's going on. And so, in the context of this, we arrive at Luke chapter 24, and these two men are walking to, the Bible says, the city of Emmaus. And as these two guys are walking to Emmaus, they're followers of Christ, and they're discussing all that Jesus has done. And they're discussing all that Christ has accomplished and they're lamenting the fact that they thought, they hoped that Jesus was going to be the rescuer. They hoped that Jesus was going to come and and take out the Roman leadership and install the Jewish people in their rightful place. And they lament the fact that Jesus hasn't actually done this. So they're walking along the road and all of a sudden this guy appears beside them. Now we know through our study of scripture that this man is in fact Christ. But for some reason, Jesus has veiled himself to these two men, and they don't recognize him. So now you got these three guys, they're just walking down the road, and he starts asking them some questions. Hey, what are you guys talking about? And they explain to him the story of Christ and all that Christ has accomplished. And they talk to him about their hope. They wish, and they had hoped that Jesus could have done this. And then we see in Luke chapter 24, verse 25, Christ makes this set of very interesting comments. Here's what he said. Jesus talking to these two men in Luke 24, 25, he says to them, How foolish you are! And how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter glory? And now verse 27 of Luke 24. Here's what Jesus says. It's fascinating. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets. Now hold it for a second. In Luke chapter 24, the New Testament has not yet been written. Okay? There is no New Testament at this point. There's no Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. None of that has been written. All we have is the Old Testament. When Christ refers to Moses and the prophets, he's talking about the Old Testament because that's all they've got. And so Christ says to them, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. (laughs) See that? Jesus says there's a story that maybe you guys hadn't seen. Now fast forward down to verse 44. He's talking later to some of his disciples. And here's what Jesus says. He says to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me. 
And you say, okay, where was it written? Well, he says, written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. See, Christ says, you guys need to understand that I was written about in the Old Testament. Now, verse 45 just ties this off for us. Here's what he says. This is important. Then he, that's Jesus, opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. Let me read that to you again. Then he, that's Jesus, opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. Now here's the implication. You ready for this? If we don't see and understand Christ in the Old Testament, we don't understand the great story. That's the implication. These men did not understand who Christ was and what Christ had accomplished because they had never seen the Old Testament in this light. And in order for them, in verse 45, to understand, he has to open their mind so they could understand the Old Testament, the Scripture, and everything written about Christ. So here's the premise that we're going to work off of for the next many weeks. Jesus Christ is the foundation for us understanding the entire Bible. And if you don't understand Christ in the Old Testament... If you don't understand the thread that runs through from the beginning of Genesis all the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament, if you don't understand who he is in the teachings of the Old Testament, you don't have a proper understanding of the Scripture. So with that in mind, we turn our attention this morning to Genesis chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, now's the time to open them. If you have your iPads or your iPhones and you're using it for your Bible, open those things up. As long as you're reading the Word of God. Just dim your screens. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. You don't have to turn your ringers off anymore. You just have to dim your screens. Genesis is a fascinating book. You laugh, but I see faces glowing every Sunday now. It's very interesting. I mean, I look out and faces are glowing. It's really... I'm not sure if it's angelic or iPod, so... Genesis is a fascinating book. Now, I'm not going to spend time this morning or for the next few weeks delving into the specifics of creation, although I want to do that one day. I have a, kind of this passion to teach through the seven days of creation. I'm not going to do it now. So instead of looking at the specifics of Scripture this morning, the specifics of the creation, I want to look at kind of the overall theology of Genesis chapter 1. This is going to be important. Because this is going to form for us a foundation of the great story. If we're going to understand the great story and how it plays out and how Christ is seen all through the Old Testament, there's some foundational things we need to understand about what God has done in his creation. So Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Here we go. In the beginning, God. Well, that's good enough, isn't it? (laughs) That answers a lot of questions right there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Those are two very important words. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now let's stop there for a few minutes, because there's some, there's some foundational things I want you to understand from our passage we're going to see this morning in Genesis chapter 1. There's some foundational things we need to understand before we can begin to kind of pull back a little bit and see that great story all through Scripture. And the first foundational thing I want you to understand this morning, the first thing that God is going to build into the foundation of the great story is this. Number one, God created order in everything. That's very important. God created order in everything. Now, the Bible describes the earth in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. And the, the Bible describes the earth with two words, formless and empty. I think the King James uses the word without form and void. But here's the point. The earth at this point had not yet formed or God had not yet formed it. And it was void. There was nothing in it. And so as we begin to kind of study the 
teachings of creation and begin to see what God did in creation, we begin to see something very interesting take place in the first chapter of the book of Genesis. Now, I'm going to recount these days. I'm not going to read through them. I want to encourage you to go back on your own, read through the story of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1. But I'm going to recount for you very quickly the days of creation. Day 1, God created light. I love the way he did it. It's not from some magic spell. It's not by rubbing some rocks together. God creates light. You remember how? Speaking. Well, that's pretty powerful. Let there be light. By the way, he created everything like that from his voice. There's a very interesting time between his word and the written word, by the way. We're not going to get into that this morning. But God on day one creates light with his voice. Let there be light. And there was light. Day two, God creates the sky and the water. Day three, God creates the land and the sea. Day four, God creates the sun, moon, and the stars. Day five, God creates the fish and the birds. Day six, God creates the land animals and the humans. Now you say, it's great, I've heard that before, but where's the idea of order? Well, here's the interesting part about creation is you begin to study these together. Chapters, excuse me, days one, two, and three parallel to days four, five, and six. So there's a relationship between the first three days and the last three days. You say, what do you mean? Well, here's what I mean. God used the first three days to form the earth. He used the last three days to fill the earth. So here's what we mean. We, we, we see that days one and four are related. We see that days two and five are related. We see that days three and six are related. Here's what this looks like. Day one, God creates light. Day four, now they're related, God creates the sun, moon, and the stars to rule over that. You understand? God forms it and then he fills it in day four. On day two, God creates the sea and the sky. On day five, he fills the sea and the sky with birds and fish. You see that? Day two, he forms it. Day five, he fills it. Day three, he creates the land. On day six... He fills the land with animals and humans. So day three, he forms it. You see that? Day six, he fills it. You begin to see the created order. God says, built into this, I'm going to create order. I'm going to first form it. And then once I form it, then I'm going to fill it. Now, built into this creation story are boundaries. You say, well, what kind of, what kind of boundaries has God created? Well, there's some very simple boundaries we see just in Genesis 1 here. This is all part of the order that God created. God has given us boundaries with day and night. We order our lives based on day and night, don't we? We get up at a certain time, why? Because it's morning. Most people, now some people work at night and it's flip-flop. But we order our lives based on the day and the night. We order our lives based on water and land. Did you know that? We all live on land. There you go. <laughs> Even though three-fourths of the world is filled with water, it's covered with water, we don't live in water, we live in land. God's set up that order for us. He set up that boundary for us. He set up the boundary of, of breathing water or breathing air, the fish and the land animals, right? And we breathe air so we live on the land. Fish have gills so they live on the sea or in the sea. God has built into the DNA of creation order and boundaries. You understand that? Now, I was doing some research this week on, on the order of creation and the boundaries of creation. And, and I ran into something that I'd heard before, but I'd not really studied it a lot. And I began to study it because it interested me. How many of you guys understand or have heard the phrase or the word fractal? F-R-A-C-T-A-L, a fractal. Good. Hey, you guys are smarter than the 930. None of them knew it. Yeah. So you tell them I said that. Don't really tell them I said that. Don't tell them I said that. A fractal, if you don't know, I'm going to read the definition for you, is a geometric pattern that's repeated at every scale. Now here's what a fractal is. It doesn't matter how big it gets. 
or how small it gets, the pattern is always recognizable and the pattern repeats. So no matter how big the pattern gets, it repeats. No matter how small the pattern gets, it repeats all the way to the subatomic level. Now here's what one scientist said as he described a fractal. He said, no matter how closely you look or how many calculations are performed, the pattern continues to replicate on smaller and smaller and larger and larger scales. Now you say, wow, that's, that's amazing, right? There's a geometric pattern that repeats. What's the, big, what's the big deal? Well, here's the big deal. Fractals occur naturally. <laughs> See, they're, they're, they're patterns built into the things of the earth. Now you should go home and you should Google natural fractals. I know that's like, you can't wait to get home to Google that, right? But you should go home and Google that and look at some of the pictures of natural fractals. I've got a few pictures. Stephen, if you bring those pictures up, I want you guys to see some examples of natural fractals. A snowflake, there's a pattern. That's a fractal pattern. It continues and continues. Bubbles. <laughs> there's a pattern within the way bubbles are formed. Rivers. They can detect these fractals within rivers and the way it's formed in the pattern. This is some sort of broccoli. I've never had it, never seen it, but it's some sort of broccoli. The nautilus shell, the pattern that repeats, the smaller it gets. You see it, lightning is a fractal. It's an example of this geometric pattern. Trees, the way trees form are fractals. See, we've got this whole long list of these things. There's so many pictures, there's so many examples, but here's the point. God has naturally created order and he built it into creation. This idea that there's some just random patterns at play that in some way we just kind of happened is just doesn't make any sense. And it's, it's not true when you look at the science behind it. I mean, God created order into the universe. But here's where the rubber meets the road for us. Don't you think if God cared enough to create order in the snowflake, God cares enough to create order in your life? You see the beauty there? If God cared enough to create order within the way that rivers are formed or the way that trees grow, don't you think he cares enough to create order in your life? If God had a plan for the way broccoli was going to form, don't you think he's got a plan for the way you're going to form? If God creates order in all the world, he creates order in you. He creates order in your life and he's got a plan for you. See, I think sometimes we... we get the idea wrong as we see the distortion that sin has placed upon our lives. And we don't understand that God's got a plan for our lives. We don't understand that God's got order. We don't understand that God's doing anything in our lives. But as we begin to study the creation account, as we begin to see the, the, the foundation of this great story that's going to play out across the pages of Scripture, we see that God has first of all created order in our lives. Now, now look at Genesis 1 verse 26. We move on down the line here. We skip through the specifics. Again, one of these days I'm going to do this, but I'm going to skip through them this morning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Now, this is a fascinating passage of Scripture, and there's something very, very interesting here. See if you can pick it up. I'm going to read through it here again in a second, point out to you. But look at Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, we've already seen that there's order. God has created within the world order. But here's the second thing we notice. Number one, God has created order. Number two, God has created relationships. God has created 
relationships. Now, we've already seen that God's a creator of the heavens and the earth and the sky and the birds, and we've seen how God formed it and how God filled it and how that shows us order and the boundaries that God has created. But I want to reread now verse 26. Stephen, bring that up one more time for me. I want to reread it, and I want you to notice something amazing. There's something in verse 26 that's striking here that we may not necessarily have noticed before. Look at verse 26. Then God said, let... What's that word? Oh, you see that? Let us make man in... Say it. Image in... Now, now, you don't have to be a major in English, a grammar major, to understand that that is plural. See that? Now, we would expect this to say, God said, let me... Make man in my image, in my likeness. We would expect to see that, right? But instead we see this plural, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So some of you are thinking, well, that's a little interesting now. I'm a little confused here because I don't really understand why God would use this plural. Why would God say us instead of me? Why would God use this plural instead of the singular? Well, here's what we see in Genesis chapter 1. This is, this is the beauty of this great story played out across thousands of years and all the pages of Scripture. Is that God, for the first time in Genesis chapter 1, now watch this, He gives us a picture of the Trinity. Now, it's a veiled picture. It's not clear and it's not precise and it doesn't give us everything we want to know. But we see that there's something more than just one here. Now, scholars would refer to this as progressive revelation. The idea is the more we study Scripture and the farther into the pages of Scripture we get, the more these sorts of things are explained. And so the Old Testament kind of paints a dim picture of the Trinity. By the time we get to the New Testament, we understand it more clearly as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But for the first time in the great story... For the first time in God's plan, He's given us in Genesis chapter 1 this picture very veiled of the Trinity... Now, I want to remind you, just in case you don't know or don't remember, let me explain the Trinity for you very quickly, okay? The Trinity is very simply this. One God, three distinct persons. One God, three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But here's the important thing about the Trinity. All three of those distinct persons are fully God. That's very important. It's not as if a third of the attributes went to God the Father, and then another third went to God the Son, another third went to God the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is 100% fully God. God the Father is 100% fully God. God the Holy Spirit is 100% fully God. You say, well, how can there be one God and three persons that are all three 100% God? That doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me. Well, you know what? It doesn't make a lot of sense to me either. But the Bible says it's a mystery and it's not always for us to understand but it's for us to trust now i want you to take this idea of the trinity just for a second i want you to set it aside we're going to pull it back in a minute but i want you to take a look at verse 26 again being mindful of the trinity let's reread this again and let's read it in another light then god said let us make man in our image in our likeness so we've seen this idea of the trinity but now as we reread this and think through it a little bit more, we see that we are created in God's image. Now let me tell you what this means. This is important for you personally. Because we are created in God's image, we are His crowning achievement. That's very important for you to understand. God didn't create the animals in His image. God didn't create the sky in His image. 
God didn't create birds in his image or, or nature or trees or whatever. All those things are beautiful. None of those things are created in the image of God. We alone are created in God's image. I mentioned a few minutes ago when I, when I got here this morning early, I always enjoy walking across the parking lot early because it's, it's just a sense I just get of the presence of God, man. I just, just walking into the church and what he's going to accomplish and what he's going to do in our midst. But I, I stopped and I just noticed the beauty of the stars. It was cool and it was still really dark and I just looked up and I saw the beautiful stars. And I've got, the, I've got this app on my phone that has the stars. You know, that's real spiritual. And I've got this app of the, of the stars. And so I'm, I pulled it out because there was a real bright one in the moon and another bright one. And so I pull this app out, and I'm, 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 I'm uh, you know, getting it positioned facing east, and I notice that it's, it's Venus right on the horizon, very bright. You may have seen it this morning. The brightest in the sky. You couldn't miss it. You follow the path on up, there's the moon, and a little farther past the moon was Jupiter. And I stood there for a minute just praising God for his beauty and for his power and for his majesty. I'm like, God, you created all this. And he reminded me as I was standing right there, Adam, as beautiful as those stars are, they don't compare to you because you're created in my image. And the beauty of the sky, we see that and we understand it. And sometimes we just go and soak it in. God, you're incredible. In Psalm 19, the, 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 scar, the stars declare your glory. And we see that and we understand that. But as we study Scripture and as we understand Scripture, those things can't hold a candle to us. Why? Because we're created in God's image. We're better than all the creation. We're on top. God loved us enough that whatever, for whatever reason, he built within us and within our hearts and within our bodies his image. Anthony Hokema wrote a book called Created in God's Image. It's a very interesting study. And in this book, he made this comment. He said, the entire world is a revelation of God. A mirror of his virtues and perfections. Every creature is in his own way, according to his own measure, an embodiment of divine thought. Isn't that beautiful? But, he says, among all the creatures, only man is the image of God. The highest and the richest revelation of God. And therefore, head and crown of the entire creation. You say, well, that's, that's, a, that's a beautiful picture, Adam. And I don't know that I've ever thought about that. But what does that really mean for me? Here's what that means for you. When you wake up tomorrow morning for whatever reason and you just don't quite feel like you're good enough to do whatever they've asked you to do, you remember you're created in God's image. Girls, when you don't think you're pretty enough for whatever reason, you remember you're created in God's image. Men, when you don't think you're good enough to lead your family or smart enough to do what everybody else thinks you ought to do, you remember you're created in God's image. And there's nothing greater under the sun. There's no other creation that he loves more there's no other creation that he's given his image to. Now, we, we, we said a few minutes ago that we're going to kind of set the Trinity aside. Let's bring it back in just for a second because it's important in this passage of Scripture. We see the idea of the Trinity. We see the idea of being created in God's image. But I want you to understand something that's very important for us as we study Genesis 1 and study the foundation of the great story. Built into the Trinity, I understand this, is this idea of relation. It's the idea of relationship. God the Father loves and relates to God the Son. We see that all through Scripture. God the Son relates to and loves God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit relates to and loves God the Father and God the Son. And we, we see this relationship. And so I just picture in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And they're just kind of talking. They're like, hey, 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 let's create man and let's create man in our image. 
You say, what does that mean to be created in the image? What, what exactly do, do we look like God? Does he have physical bodies? Like, what, is it, what does that look like? Well, there's a lot of debate. There's a lot of debate among scholars and people that study and understand exactly what this means to be created in the image of God. But here's something we understand beyond a shadow of a doubt. Because we are created in the image of God, because God is Trinity, and because God loves each other, and, and the whole process there of, of loving the other person, Again, one God, three distinct persons. But there is relationship built into the fabric of the Trinity. There is therefore relationship built into our core. You understand that? Part of the foundation of the great stories that God has created us for relationship. Now that makes sense to us. We understand that. Why? Because we desire relationship with other people. It's just part of who we are. We desire a relationship with a spouse. Or with a boyfriend or girlfriend or fiance. We desire that relationship. We desire a relationship with a, with a close friend or a close family member. We desire that relationship that's just built into our DNA. But here's what God desires, and here's God's ultimate plan. He desires relationship between himself and you. That's his plan. God says, I want to build a relationship. I want to build a relationship between myself and between you. You know, we, we struggle with our relationships oftentimes, don't we? We struggle with marriages and we struggle with relationships to our family members and, and to our friends oftentimes and to people at work. And we begin to wonder, why do we struggle with these relationships? Well, it's very simple. We're going to see next week in Genesis chapter 3 that when sin entered the world, the foundation of everything God had created was distorted. God's order became distorted. We'll see that. God's relationships became distorted. So we have trouble in our marriages. Why? Because there's sin. We have trouble with our friends at work. Why? Because there's sin. We have trouble with our family members. Why? Because there's sin. We ultimately have trouble with our relationship with God who desired with Adam and Eve to walk in the cool of the garden with him. We have trouble with our relationship. Why? Because there's sin in the world. But God's ultimate plan for us, the beauty of everything he created, was that he desires to be in perfect relationship with us. Now you say, wow, so this is, this is kind of difficult now because you're telling me that God's big picture... The great story, he desires to be in relationship with us, but because there's sin, all that's been distorted. So how do we understand exactly what being in the image of God looks like? What's our model? If sin has distorted everything, who do we look to to understand exactly how we should look being created in the image of God? Well, let me point you to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Speaking of Christ, here's what it says. He is the image of the invisible God. You want, to know, you want to know what your relationship with your spouse ought to look like? You look to Christ as your example. You want to know what your relationship with your coworker ought to look like? You look to Christ as your example. You want to know what your, you want to know what your relationship to your family ought to look like? You look to Christ as your example. If you want to know what being created in the image of God looks like and how you ought to live your life and how to focus your life on the things of God, you look to Christ. Why? Because he's the image of God. He's the perfect image of God. He is our model and we must keep our eyes focused on Him. So we've seen God as, as our creator of order, built into the fabric of everything is order. Built into the fabric of everything is relationship. Now look at verse 27 and 28 again. So, the Bible says, God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him, male and female, He created them. Now verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, now here's the command of God, you ready? Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now we've seen God's order. We've seen God's relationship. And now number three, built into the fabric of creation, we see that God created us with purpose. 
God created us with purpose. Now, Genesis 1.28, God gives two commands to Adam and Eve. This is in the Garden of Eden. Here's what he says. Number one, be fruitful and multiply. Number two, fill the earth and subdue it. Now, those two things really go together. God says, simply enough, you need to increase your numbers and you need to spread over the earth. That's what he says to them. So we get this sense here in the study that there's this ever-increasing sphere of influence, right? So Adam and Eve are in the garden. God says to them, you need to increase, you need to multiply, you need to fill the earth and subdue it. So God says, you need to grow, you need to spread out, and you need to take my glory into all the earth. So God's plan for humanity was that Adam and Eve would spread out, they would take God's glory to the ends of the earth. You say, that's a great story. What happened? Well, here's the problem. God gives Adam and Eve this command to expand, to go into all the world, to be fruitful and multiply, to do the earth, take God's glory to all the reaches of the nations. But watch this. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sinned. And so God's ultimate plan for them was changed. They couldn't accomplish that because of sin in their life. So guess what God does? Genesis chapter 12, he goes to Abraham. You know, he says to Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation now. I want you to expand I want all the earth to be blessed through you. And so Abraham grows and he forms the the, the Israelite people. And all through the centuries, as we read in the Old Testament, the Israelites grow and and they go to the promised land and their intent is to spread God's glory through all the earth. But guess what they do? They sin. They can't fulfill God's plan. So guess what God does in the New Testament? He goes to Peter and Paul and he says, well, Adam and Eve couldn't do it. The Israelite people haven't been able to do it. You go now to the Gentiles. That's everybody else. And you tell them now to go and spread the word. You tell them to subdue the earth and to bring my glory to all things. And so we read passages like Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. See that? All nations. See the picture there? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Man, when we see Matthew chapter 19, uh, chapter 28, verse 19 to 20 as, as one little individual picture... It means one thing, right? We need to go and spread the name of Christ. And that is absolutely true. But when we back out of that photo mosaic, and we see in light of the great story, we see it's just another step in God's plan to reach the world. Started with Adam and Eve, moved to the Israelite people, it's moved to the Gentile people now, and our call this day still is to spread Christ and to spread God's glory all over the earth. But here's the problem. We look at our society today and we wonder, is that really happening? Is it really possible that God's word is spreading? Because it seems to me that Christianity is shrinking, Adam. It seems to me it's getting smaller or or we're not reaching the number of people that we need to reach. Well, here's what we have to understand about God's plan. This is important. We get locked into our little world and our little time frame and we see our little lifetime and we think that's all there is. But you need to remember, we're part of a great story. And God's plan will not be stopped. It will not be stopped. Now there are bumps in the road. Sin has taken its toll. Sin has messed up the order and messed up our relationships and messed up our purpose. We don't see it clearly anymore. We're not reaching people like we need to. But here's the ultimate goal for us. Here's where God's plan is going to ultimately lead us. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1, 2, and 3. You don't have to look it up, but I want you to listen. In the year of that king, excuse me, in the year that King Uzziah died, I, this is Isaiah, saw the Lord seated on a throne. Now listen to what Isaiah says. This is a picture of who God is and who, who He's going to be on the earth. He was high and exalted. The train of His robe filled the temple, and above Him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, with the other two wings they were flying, and they called to each other. Now listen to what these 
beings say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Listen now. The whole earth is full of His glory. You see that picture? What began in Genesis chapter 1 with the Garden of Eden, God's plan, God's great story, to eventually spread His name and His glory throughout the earth, didn't go the way it was supposed to go because of sin. It didn't go the way it was supposed to go with Abraham. And we're not doing all the things that God's called us to do. We fail because of sin. But God's ultimate plan will be fulfilled. And the whole earth will one day experience His glory. And all the nations will be gathered unto Him. And every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that He is Lord. You see, when we take a look at the great story, when we, when we pull back a little bit from those individual stories of the Old Testament, we begin to see that we're part of that. You understand that? Your call to reach the nations is one part of a great story. It's one part of a great plan that God has called you to be a part of. But see, we live in a world of sinfulness. We live in a world of mistakes. We, we live in a, a world that, that has separated itself from God. But here's where we're going. Here's the bottom line that we need to understand of this great story. Our job now as believers is to get back to where God had us. To get back in proper order. You see that? To get back in proper relationship. To get back that proper purpose that God has called us to. But here's the dilemma for us. We can't do it by ourselves. There's one answer. The only way we can fulfill God's purposes in our life. The only way we can get back to that proper relationship. The only way we can get back to that proper order is through Jesus Christ. And we're going to begin to see God's plan through Christ unfold before our very eyes over the next many weeks. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. It's clear, Father. It's powerful. It changes our hearts and our minds. Lord, I pray that over the next many weeks as we study this great story, as we see Christ unfold before our very eyes all through the Old Testament, we see God's plan for our lives, Father, I pray that we would take very seriously our call, very seriously our purpose to reach the nations, Father, to to have relationship with Jesus Christ, Father, to, to put things in the right order. Sin has destroyed that, Father, and changed that, and the world is not as it should be, Lord, but we know, we know, Lord, that through Jesus Christ we can get back into proper standing. And so, Lord, if there's someone here today that hasn't accepted Christ, that they would, for the first time in their lives, repent of their sins and turn to Jesus Christ, that they would recognize their need for a Savior. Lord, I pray you would work in our midst in ways we can't even understand, and we're going to give you praise and honor and glory. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you just a couple of minutes to come down front. If you want to pray maybe about what God's doing in your heart, if you want to repent of your sins and turn to Christ for salvation, or if you want to join this church, this is your time. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. We invite you to visit our campus at 3794 Hamilton Road in LaGrange, Georgia, or visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. God bless you.